Clyde nominated. Clyde. Derek, our members of the press here, we welcome you. Please respect our 11th tradition of maintaining personal anonymity by not identifying our members by name or in full face photos. A press room is located near the registration desk. You can pick up information there. For those of you with cameras, please do not take pictures during workshops or meetings. Remember to ask for permission when taking photos of anyone here at the convention. And to start off, uh, Cecil will come up and read who is an addict. Hi everybody, my name is Cecil. I'm a dopeen from the Bahamas. Hi, Tommy. Who is an addict? Most of us do not have to think twice about this question we know. Our whole life and thinking is centered in drugs in one form or another. The getting and the using and the finding ways and means in which to get more. We used to live and we live to use. Very simply, an addict is a man or woman whose life is controlled by drugs. We are people in the grip of a continuing and a progressive illness whose ends are always the same. Jails, institutions, and death. Thank you, Cecil. Tanny will read what is Narcotics Anonymous. Hi, my name is Tanny. I'm an addict. What is Narcotics Anonymous program? NA is a nonprofit fellowship for society of men and women for whom drugs have become a major problem. We are recovering addicts who meet regularly to help each other stay clean. This is a program of complete abstinence from all drugs. There is only one requirement for membership, the honest desire to stop using. There are no musts in NA, but we suggest that you keep an open mind and give yourself a break. Our program is a set of principles written so simply that we can follow them in our daily lives. The most important thing about them is that they work. There are no strings attached to NA. We are not affiliated with any other organizations. We have no leaders, no initiation fees or dues, no pledges to sign, no promises to make to anyone. We are not connected with any political, religious, or law enforcement groups and are under no surveillance at any time. Anyone may join us regardless of age, race, color, creed, religion, or lack of religion. We are not interested in what or how much you used or who your connections were, what you have done in the past, how much or how little you have, but only in what you want to do about your problem and how we can help. The newcomer is the most important person at any meeting because we can only keep what we have by giving it away. We have learned from our group experience that those who keep coming to our meetings regularly stay clean. Thank you, Ken. Avon and Ernie will read how it works. I'm a dolphin and alcoholic. My name is Avon. I'm from Baltimore. Avon. <laughs> how it works. If you have, if you want, we have to offer and are willing to make the effort to get it then you're ready to take certain steps. These are suggestions only, but they are the principles to make our recovery possible. One, we admitted that we are powerless over our addiction, that our lives have become unmanageable. Two, we came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, we made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood Him. 
Four, we made a search and feel us more inventory of ourselves. Five, we admit to God, to ourselves, and to another human being, the exact nature of our wrong. Six. Six. <laughs> <laughs> Six, we're totally ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, we humbly have some to remove all our shortcomings. Eight, we made a list of all persons we have harmed and became willing to too big a man to them all. Nine, we made direct demands to such people when possible, except to do so with injure them or others. Ten, we continue to take personal inventory and when we were wrong, promptly admit it. Eleven, we saw through prayer and meditation to improve our conscience. <laughs> 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 Twelve, having had a spiritual awakening of the result of these steps, we try to carry this message to action to practice these principles in all our affairs. Thirteen! 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 It sounds like a big order. <laughs> we cannot do this all at once. We then become addicted in one day to remember. Easy does it. There's one thing more than anything that will defeat us in our recovery, and this is the attitude of indifference on Talbot's towards spiritual principles. Although there are no must in NA, there are no there are three things that seems indispensable and these are honesty, open mindedness and willingness to try. With these we're well on our way. And thirteen, that's why you're here for that love. <laughs> My name is Anas. I'm an addict in Baltimore, Maryland. We feel that our approach to the problem of our addiction is completely realistic. For the therapeutic value of one addict helping another addict without parallel, we feel another addict. We feel that the sooner we face our problem within our society and everyday living, just that much faster do we become acceptable, responsible, and productive members of that society. The only way keep from, keep from getting or continuing a habit is not to take the first fixed pill or drink. If you're like us, you know that one is too many and a thousand is never enough. We put great emphasis on this, but we know that when we use drugs in any form or substitute one for another, we release our addiction all over again or create a new one. The substitution of alcohol has caused a great many addicts to form a new addiction pattern, which in this progression brings as many problems as before. We seem to forget that all alcohol is one of the oldest known drugs. It would appear that we are people with addictive personalities who are strongly susceptible to alcoholic addiction. Thank you. Uh, Linda will read the traditions. My name is Linda. I'm an addict from D.C. Hi, Linda. Twelve Traditions of Narcotics Anonymous. We keep what we have only with vigilance, and just as freedom for the individual comes from the twelve steps, so freedom for the group springs from our traditions. As long as the ties that bind us together are stronger than those that would tear us apart, all will be well. One, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends on NA unity. Two, for our group purpose there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God as he may express himself in the group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants, they do not govern. Three, 
The only requirement for membership is a desire to stop using. Four, each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or NA as a whole. Each group has but one primary purpose, to carry the message to the addict who still suffers. Six, an NA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the NA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, or prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every NA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Narcotics Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine. NA as such ought never to be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten. NA has no opinion on outside issues, hence the NA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. Eleven. Our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, and film. Twelve. Okay. It is the spiritual foundation of all our traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personality. As I said, my name is Clyde and I'm an addict. And I want to give the programming committee from this uh, world a hand for helping this program. <laughs> and for selecting this fellow right here, Joseph P. from Memphis, Tennessee, to help us and share with us on love or lust. <laughs> Thanks, Clyde. I'm an addict. My name's Joseph. Uh, this is overwhelming. Um, down south, uh, we don't have 13 steps. <laughs> We've got 13 traditions. We shoot that blank, 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 blank. <laughs> Got to keep it clean here. When the program committee called and asked, uh, as always, I've been taught, and I've grown up in recovery, um, is when asked to do something in, in the fellowship and for Narcotics Anonymous and to be a part of and to participate uh, is to say yes no matter what it is and um, a lot of times that's tough but I also learn about willingness and about faith and about trust and about doing things that I particularly don't like doing and that's how I continue to hopefully to grow and to become a better person and to um, better be able to help myself and by doing that I'm able to help others to help themselves I hope uh, that's my purpose that helps keep me coming back each day 
and it helps to uh, keep me excited about my recovery and to get excited about being a part of of other people's life on a daily basis. Um, and for that, I'm extremely grateful. I care about each and every person in this room and that I know in the fellowship of NA. I don't know a great deal about love. Uh, I always misuse that word. It still has a, uh, the word itself has a, a somewhat uh, distasteful connotation to me in the way I used it and abused it and thought about it uh, throughout most of my life as a child and, and as, a, as an adult. Uh, I know what this program has taught me about care. Uh, so that's why I say I care about each person and I like each person that I know. Uh, and that's what I'm taught in this program. The reason I learn about care is the publishing arm of, of Narcotics Anonymous is, is CARINA, Care N-A. And that stands for the C for Compassion, the A for Action, the R for Respect, and the E for Empathy. And that's care, N-A. And I keep working on how to care about myself and how to care about each person I know. And hopefully that will lead into me uh, being a better human being and be a more compassionate person. Uh, first, I've had to learn how to do that about myself, how to care about myself, how to have respect for myself, how to take um, action in my life on a daily basis, and, uh, and the empathy the truly he healing uh, therapy of empathy, the therapeutic value of one addict helping another. Now, in my view, in a lot of areas, I think that what I consider helps another addict, somebody else might consider hurts one. And consequently, what I consider uh, hurting another addict, in my view, and how I've grown to this day, uh, somebody else might consider helping someone. So uh, I have an example to offer in my life today and to myself and a view and it's not anything original for myself. Nothing, everything I've grown up with and changed my attitudes with in life today has been freely given by other members of Narcotics Anonymous in the time I've been around. It's nothing original, it's nothing unique to me. And I've had the many good examples that I've selected to help to try to continue to, to grow uh, and stay clean a day at a time and recover from my disease of addiction. <clears throat> my disease, uh, just briefly to qualify a little bit, like most probably everyone else in this room, I used as much dope for as long as I could on a daily basis. My disease, as I understand it today, was with me long, time, uh, long before the first chemical entered my body. Uh, I can reflect back into my life as uh, in taking inventories and trying to develop some self-honesty and some clear direction of, of my life today. Uh, where my disease was with me when I was about three or four, five years old. Um, I was sexually active in, in some forms back then. I learned how to be a people pleaser uh, back then with relatives and, uh, uh, and 
people in the neighborhood. Uh, I learned how to lie. Uh, I remember I got caught cheating in the first grade uh, and got embarrassed in front of the class. Uh, and I never got caught cheating again. I continued to cheat for the rest of my life uh, uh, in business, in college degrees. Uh, I never had an honest, I've never had an honest grade or an honest degree, uh, but I developed that coping skills to be able to get that degree and to do what it takes to, um, to get what I wanted. Um, I know I always became, in, in school, I always became the teacher's pet or the coach's pet. Somehow I found it easier than do the work. It was easier to uh, get close to somebody. Uh, and get taken care of. I remember in even in the neighborhood in early school and on up through life, I never really fit in with the other people. I never was really a part of. I seemed like I was always on the outside trying to get in with this group of people or that group of people or this person or that. So I compensated by becoming uh, a surface person. A very I could be very charming and very learn the skills of manipulation and conning very well and early on and that continued all the way uh, through uh, through elementary junior high high school when the first drug entered my body um, and then I got a scholarship and went away to college and that was dishonest I got kicked out of that state and I picked up another other couple of different type drugs and came back to Memphis um, and continued to use and uh, I got involved in, in radical organizations uh, and movements uh, in the 60s of one form or the other, from one extreme to the other. Um, always trying to find the right group and the right person to be with and to be a part of. Um, and that's what I did all throughout my life. Um, and then I started having automobile accidents and got introduced to quality narcotics, uh, quality injectables. And I found that to be, uh, to be what I liked because it freed me from having emotional pain. It got me up and got me out of the house to function in whatever way I thought I was functioning. Um, and that soon uh, took its toll and I went downhill from that. My last um, fix was in December 76 and I thought everything was okay as long as I wasn't shooting dope. Um, I continue to use drugs in other forms uh, and losing jobs. I've never held a job for over a year um, and getting in jail and such as that um, from, from things of driving on the influence, uh, public drunk, resisting arrest, white slavery, uh, gun running, uh, drug charges, a multitude of that was my activity, that was my way, and I, I never, I've never spent any time in jail, and I and I have uh, uh, no convictions. Always uh, directed verdicts of not guilty or dismissed because I developed to be a good manipulator and a con artist, and I did whatever it took to get out of the trouble I was in. So I have a clean record today because of that. So that, my disease and learning that at very early kept me wasting most of my life. I didn't get cleaned after I was in my 30s. Uh, 
April of 78, I had my last uh, use of the drug alcohol while I was in the state hospital. And uh, I had to get honest in that hospital uh, because they were beginning to think I was just uh, crazy. I was comfortable with the, the labels of manic depressiveness. I was comfortable with the labels of sociopath. Uh, when it got to be um, paranoid schizophrenic and latent schizophrenia, and they started talking about long-term uh, <laughs> incarcerations, I started backtracking. I started. I wasn't comfortable with that. In this hospital, of course, I played the, all the games, beat the doctor, conned the staff, organized the patients. Uh, switched the drug screens. A uh, couple staff people got fired through that type thing. But I tried to start trying to tell them backpedal real fast and let them know that I had a drug. I used drugs. Uh, and it was another kind. They wouldn't accept that, you know. And uh, they wanted to let me to leave that institution. So I, uh, with, a, with a scam with uh, my roommate, I was going to fake a suicide because I had some fear in me. I wanted to stay. I didn't want to be back out on the street. I didn't want to go home to Mommy and Daddy again. And I didn't want to go back to the people I was living with. So I just did what I normally need to do is run a scam. And... Uh, and something happened, it didn't work out, and they came in the, one morning in April of 78 and handed me my razor blade and said, if you're going to kill yourself, Proctor, you're going to do it outside this institution. So they took my razor blade and myself and all of my stuff and put it down the street. <laughs> uh, Call my bluff. Um, so what I did... In my past, my great enablers in life were my parents and, and women in my life and uh, getting me out of things and uh, rescuing me and letting me come back home again or back into their bed again and accepting my promises and own and own and own and own. <laughs> no one ever said no to me uh, that I accepted. <laughs> something happened and I said no I'm not going back again in my 30's to mommy and daddy uh, so I moved into the Salvation Army and uh, I was doing good then because I was living in my car and um, I got kicked out of there and hit with a stick because I wasn't using the drug alcohol, but I was selling drugs to all those people in there. And um, so I got kicked out, and I moved into a 30-day uh, program because that's where I heard my first 12-step meeting in the Salvation Army. And what I remember, they said, just for the day, you don't have to take nothing. And the fella gave me his phone number. And, uh, of course, my mind, I was just thinking about, yeah, you know, what's this guy want? And... Um, so when I get kicked out, I called and we met and uh, he checked me out before he took me to his home and his family. And uh, of course, I was loaded. And, and so that was my introdu introduction in uh, April 78 to uh, 12 steps that you don't have to take nothing today for the rest of your life a day at a time. And um, I didn't hear the message of abstinence.
I continued being active uh, in a fellowship, uh, just not using particular drugs and taking cakes, uh, not following any of the suggestions uh, uh, about relationships, about being used sexually and using people sexually. Um, and I became, after a couple years, uh, going to meetings every day, a very in an emotional state where I wanted to drink whiskey and shoot dope again, because that's what I like to do. And um, I found the program of Narcotics Anonymous in the public library in Memphis, Tennessee, where someone, Jimmy Kay, had sent information to all the libraries, and somehow I stumbled into there and uh, found the address and the phone number. I said, to hell with the address, give me the phone number. And so I called. And I called Collect for every day, many times a day for weeks, and I got clean over the phone. I surrendered to my disease. I surrendered to total absence. I surrendered to the suggestions, other than you don't take nothing today. I got off uh, all the drugs and all the antidepressants and the lithium and all that kind of stuff that I left from one crutch to the other. Because um, I was told abstinence and being clean means you don't take nothing, no exceptions. And the suggestions that I already, always rebelled against that I'd heard and considered prudish are not for me, uh, I surrendered to. Because the man over the phone says, if you're going to select who you're going to hug and who you're going to help and who you're going to reach out to, you're not going to stay clean in Memphis, Tennessee, much less ever have another clean addict by your side. If you're going to hug somebody, not hug somebody because of their color, because of what, how they smell, because how much they weigh, what kind of neighborhood they come from, what kind of clothes they wear, what their social economic background is, you're in trouble. One addict helping another. And being brought up in a very biased, prejudiced life uh, in school and growing up and in college in Mississippi, uh, I know about biasness and prejudices to the max. And being, a, being brought up a very insecure, sexually confused person, I know about sexual confusions and anxieties and threats and discomforts. So I surrendered uh, those things over the phone that I can't be biased, I can't be prejudiced, I can't be uh, judgmental or uh, to other people no matter what their sexual orientation is or their color or their money or the neighborhood they come from or what they look like. And I let that go. I know it's possible to let those things go after years of hatred and fears and insecurities and the destruction of human life, that being a part of it. I know how that stuff can be let go at any moment of any time because I did when I, when I surrendered that time. So it's possible. For me, my first relationship in life, and life clean is my life, uh, was with abstinence. 
simple absence. You don't take nothing. That bright thing in my gut that was so exciting that I don't have to take nothing today. And I can live. That was my first relationship. Based on the suggestion of when you hug somebody, if you have anything in the back of your mind that you're going to get in their pants later that night or next week or a month from now, you're in trouble and so are they in how you share your message or how you communicate with them on a daily basis in and out of meetings. If you've got anything in the back of your mind, you're in trouble it's going to be disastrous and you're not going to make it. That's what I was told and I believe that because I know my, knew my patterns and my mistakes. And if you have anything in the mind that you're going to get in their pocketbook, get in their wallet and get their money tomorrow or tonight or next week, you're in trouble. So that's where I first learned about honesty and putting matters of sexual things up on the shelf a day at a time, a moment at a time. And I, and I followed, I accepted into my life the suggestion of no emotional and physical relationships for nine months to a year and a half. I chose a year and a half for myself instead of shortcutting it and looking for the loophole in life that I always took the easy end, which ended up being the rough end uh, as I wasted my life. And that was rougher and more difficult than staying clean. Uh, and it was a real challenge and it was real exciting to, to really accept that suggestion and like being clean and putting it up on the shelf and having in my heart and in my head of not making exceptions like using. You just don't stay clean and build time and live life and change if you make an exception on using. For me, I don't believe I could do that. And in other things, I was told you just don't make exceptions on things. You handle it. You deal with it a moment at a time and a thought at a time. And a desire at a time. And I believed it. And I trusted that. And that's, that was the foundation, the start of my life today. In those suggestions that I rebelled against and neglected and denied and thought were prudish. It didn't apply to me. I was different. I was the exception. I could rationalize it and justify it. So that's how my recovery began and continues to begin. I've made some errors in recovery. I really believe in giving a newcomer. I consider myself a newcomer today. But a newcomer time-wise of... Uh, a year or so, I can. I, I really like to give a newcomer a break and give them a chance to, to get out of their ways like I was allowed to get out of my ways and to, to learn how not to become a whore and learn how to hug unconditionally in a caring, non-sensuous way without any, anything in my mind of what's between their legs and when am I going to get it and how and how they need to have me because I'm so good. <laughs> I was always one that liked to walk into the bars or other type places that I participated in. And it was a thing I like to think that I look around the room and it was so exciting and ego that I could look around the room and see I'd been to bed with everybody in the room. Um, and it's really nice to walk into a meeting 
and not have that to have to happen. I need to be with you, or I want to be with you. Uh, you're next. And keep that list. Uh, so having that out of the way, I could, I've continued to try to grow and to be a better human being and to care about myself and to have some respect for myself because being a prostitute and a whore uh, as I was from early childhood uh, till I got to where I couldn't function on command and I uh, ceased to <laughs> be of use. Um, so that's when I hung out in the alleys and this and that and the parks and things like that. Uh, and what I've learned today and about myself sexually and about myself spiritually and morally that anything is okay with me today with myself and with any other person uh, as long as it doesn't hurt them or hurt me uh, and is honest and that leaves a wide range that leaves me uh, a wide range of to, to have to develop the self-help program and take action in my life today because I am responsible for myself and with the help of each people uh, that I know that knows me and that I don't know that I use as sounding boards uh, and to help me to help myself um, I need that and I don't need to make the same mistakes that I made all my life today in lust I was talking to someone last night a um, very special lady and we were talking about lust and that's a quick definition maybe that she shared with me is uh, the abuse of another person for self-satisfaction um, that lust to me today is and she was sharing is not necessarily undressing somebody mentally in an elevator or in a meeting even or anywhere like that it's the, the, the physical abuse of another human being for self-satisfaction and gratification without any truly con a conscious thought of that other person if they can handle it if they're going to be able to stay clean if it's going to be contributing to their whorism <laughs> if they're going to be around taking their spiritual condition into effect when I in that year and a half that I practiced abstinence and celibacy a day at a time or a moment at a time um, <laughs> something happened in there it got to be where maybe I could handle this or handle that uh, and be okay with it but something happened during that time and I started thinking about would it be right and fair for the other person will they be able to survive this would I be able to give them the attention and the time and the care that they might want or need uh, will this be helping them or hurting them somehow in that time of following that suggestion yeah, I started thinking about the other person instead of thinking about myself that I could handle it or not handle it, Is it could they and on every instance it says maybe not so when in doubt I don't and that's helped me to grow and have that empathy and that care and that compassion for another person to help somebody to stay clean one more moment one more day and hopefully to rise above and out of the disease which of addiction which has very little to do with drugs 
as far as I've been taught, emotional and psychological and sexual things and fears and insecurities and doubts and on and on and on. So I began to think about other people and not myself. Self-help and thinking about others in a selfless way, not a selfish way, in a caring way. I've uh, lust took over once in the time I've been around with a newcomer and uh, I've paid a an emotional price for that uh, I don't know what happened to that newcomer uh, I haven't seen him around in the time I've been around and traveled uh, and all the time knowing I shouldn't and I wish I wouldn't but lust overwhelmed and uh, so this program for me today is not about being perfect. It's about getting better and doing things differently today. I really love newcomers um, and respect newcomers and want to give them the opportunity to, to grow and give them an opportunity to help themselves and get me out of the way. And I like to try to share my wellness with people, not my sickness. I save my sickness for my sponsor. <laughs> and other people that can handle it. <laughs> uh. So if we don't give our newcomers a break, let me say I. If I don't give a newcomer a break, who else is going to give a newcomer a break? I've seen in this program for myself until I surrendered. Stop abusing myself when I stopped using drugs. And before I surrendered, I put that abuse and that anger and that hostility into other people in the program. And when I begin to surrender and change, I, I found it no need to to put that abuse and hostility and anger to other members we got to be good to ourselves if we don't respect each other and have love and kindness and compassion and understanding with each other who else will um, I never found anyone else that did that I could accept that I heard what they had to offer so I'm beginning to learn maybe what love is in in over 30 years of having a wrong attitude of what love was and how to care about somebody and care about myself and learn to respect myself so I can respect you so I can like you uh, I'm not one for cliches and one that's very distasteful to me is uh, I don't have to like you but I love you that doesn't work for me I know about my anger and my deep-seated anger of my of the, runs in my veins that uh, that me as an addict has I know about that anger and uh, I need to I keep trying to learn how to get rid of that anger and let it dissolve and to love people and care about them and like them there's certain things in people in their personalities like in my own that I, that I don't like that disease rears up in me at times and rears up in other people I know and those characteristics of what I have a problem with at times not the person I like each person and I care about each person I'm learning how to develop that into not a play on words to love everybody no matter who it is in my home community in my home group 
and everywhere else to rise above my own sick personality and my recovering personality. And by doing that, that helps me to rise above the personalities of others. But first, I have to rise above on a daily basis, on a situational basis, on a conversation basis of my own personality. And in doing that, I can better do that with others that I care about. I don't have any difficulty really in people outside the fellowship. I pretty much can accept whatever anybody wants to do and have gratitude and let a person do this and do that and be all those spiritual principles that we read about in the book and hear about in meetings and and we try to live and apply in our life each day and grow into. Where I have my difficulty is in these rooms is applying the spiritual principles of acceptance and of letting go and working on patience and tolerance um, and continue to try to love each person and like each person. So that's what keeps me coming back on a daily basis to meetings and using the phone daily and reading some of the literature daily. The very basis that got me here keep me here. Who am I to say at, at six, a little over six years clean uh, based on my past of 20 years of active addiction and insanity that I don't need to continue the basics in life today. Because uh, I believe I do. That keeps me fresh and willing and growing and changing. Keeps me out of my disease and into recovery. I, don't bl- I believe if myself and I, my view is if anybody is clean today, they're not sick. They're just in the recovery process. They're recovering. I hear that thrown around too much and sexual things and, and other things. That person is sick and sick and you're sick and that, that. But I don't believe that. I believe if a person is clean, they're recovering. They're no longer sick. And that's what keeps me being able to love and care. Just for today. All my recovery here from going around from one organization to another, from one person to another, and from one group of people to another, has all come to right here to the Fellowship of Narcotics Anonymous on a daily basis in the steps, in the first step. I'm powerless over my addiction, and my life is unmanageable, and it is today. But today I'm growing and I'm changing and I'm willing. I'm not making the mistakes that I made in my past, in my active addiction, or in recovery. I'm making new mistakes. And um, that's okay. What I'm so told and my sponsor has told me is, you don't make, and what the book says, what is insanity? Making the same mistakes, uh, expecting different results. And that's in my thinking, too. And that's where lust comes into play a lot of times. If I get something obsessed on my mind, I'm going to follow through on it. Uh, and that's that obsession of mind and part of the disease. So what I try to do today in a lot of areas of my life, whether it's uh, dishonesty with self, dishonesty with others, stealing, sexual matters, and things that I know that should be for me today is I don't let them get started in my mind where I'm going to have to be obsessed and compelled to follow through on them. I try to change that around today and let good things get started in my mind and get obsessed and compelled to follow through on them. Because uh, I do have that obsessive compulsive part of my disease. And I try to turn that around today and make it into positive things, more constructive things, 
to do um, in my life today. And what I try to do in that is turn all that energy and all that in my active addiction, turn it around and all that energy and time and obsession and compulsion, I try to turn it into positive things in my life today. Just put a little different twist on it, and it works for me. And I know others. Many I have very a lot of examples in life today, and I see it working in the lives of so many other people today. In these steps, in these suggestions that for me are pretty well damn betters, even though they say we don't have any must. It means for me today that I must do these things and continue to grow and not be the exception in life today. Uh, and to treat myself as a newcomer with respect and take action in my life today. One of the toughest things I've had to do in, uh, in life today, and I, I got a lot of help, is, is this. When I see other people doing things in the fellowship that I used to do before I surrendered and got clean, uh, I, have a lot of, I used to have a lot of difficulty with that. And, and I, I guess I resented it and I was very um, hostile with other people when I saw them hurting each other and killing each other or what I viewed as that emotionally and spiritually um, for animalistic needs and uh, self-centered stuff. What I learned is, with the help of some people in the program, is I learned what I did is, is I wish I could still do those things and stay clean. Because I know people with uh, anywhere from 6 years to 15 years, 18 years, 12 years that do some things, they're clean today, but they do things that I can't do and stay clean or live. Uh, and when I realize with the help of others that how can you stay clean and do what I can't do anymore, uh, that helped me to surrender and let go of that and be just... And the best example I can be. We have many examples in this fellowship. And none of them are right or wrong. We have many different ways to believe in the concept of a God or a higher power. Or a power greater than our addiction. Or a power greater than ourself. It's all right and everything is right on. And all of our examples are right on. And that's what makes this fellowship so beautiful. Is you can find the example and find what you need and it's all okay. The only thing, you may disagree on sponsorship, you may disagree on, on, uh, on sex or lust, on how to take the steps, on how many meetings to go to, on what to read and what to do, and that's okay. That's what makes this fellowship alive and growing and a viable program of recovery from the disease of addiction today. One thing we do have in common, I think, is total abstinence. We can't take nothing on a daily basis and be clean. Everything else is subject to revision, interpretation, different examples, different stages of growth, and rates of recovery. And that's what I've learned. That's how it helped me to grow and to be more of an emotional, secure person than that, that weak, scared, insecure little child. Be able to face myself in the mirror today with some sense of integrity and dignity and not have to use a 15-watt light bulb in the bathroom to shave because I didn't want to see what was in the mirror. Or to look in the mirror and have that gun in my nose or in my mouth or in my ear and wonder what the last few moments would be, that ultimate self-pity, what it would be like when I pull that trigger. 
poor me. And that's really helped me today, is to get off of me and see y'all, see us, and see we, and have respect and care for another human being and not the other things that I lived and abused and was a part of destroying of people emotionally and destroying families. I had a thing for married women. Um, over and over and over again, wreck, I wrecked homes and I was arrested and shot at and beat up time and time again. Uh, and I, it never fazed me until one time this woman got up and left my bed in 78 and went back to her home, her two cars, her three children and dogs and, and career and everything, and I felt used. I felt used. And then... <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> but that helped me to change. All the harm that I'd done others, I had no conscience. I thought that was a great, a great trait to have, and I was really excited that I was born with no conscience. And I felt really fortunate. Uh, that's how ill I was. Uh, <laughs> But since that time, never again has that happened. I have respected uh, the families and not wanting to get something that wasn't mine and take it at any cost, at any disruption. Uh, and it took me feeling used, no matter what I'd done to other people, and destroyed them emotionally and physically. Uh, never again do I have to do that. So that's why this fellowship in each attic means so much to me today. And I get excited about recovery. And I get excited about sharing. And the reason I keep coming back is so I can get better. So I can learn to communicate better and get out of being a loner and an insecure person. How I can better share what I have to share in the way I have to share it that it's better accepted. And it doesn't intimidate people or make them angry or hurt them. Uh... That's about communicating better uh, and getting better myself uh, and trying to, uh, to live life today and to love. I have my, my dreams. I have my fantasies. I have my hopes. I have my wishes. I have my desires. Um, but they're all based on reality, on what I do today, how I live today, because today is all I have. And my actions today is all I have because and I'm, I'm trading a very high price for it today. A day of my life that will never be again. And I want it to be whatever it means in your mind and my mind. I want it to be good and not evil. I want it to be positive and not negative. And whatever those words mean to you. I want it to be moral and not lustful or immoral. Whatever that means to each one of y'all. I know what it means to me today. But everything's okay, and we're all right where we're supposed to be. And there's hope. Without dope, 
And there's hope without the rope. No suicide today. <laughs> and there's hope without the Pope. <laughs> and the reason I say that is I'll share it. Growing up in, uh, in my neighborhood as a child, I, it was an Italian Protestant neighborhood. And I was a good old liberal Methodist. And I always envied those Italian Catholics because they could go and do these things and go to confession. They were going to be okay. <laughs> and then they'd go do the same thing the next day, the next week. And here I was stuck doomed, you know. So I always thought that was great. And I always wanted to be a Catholic. And then I wanted to be a Jew, you know. And then I wanted to be a communist. And then on and on and on and on. Uh, what is right? And the, thing, the way I've grown today, that everything is right and how you wanted to believe. No one knows and everybody's right. You just got to believe something, have faith. And my faith is in, in abstinence in human beings today. Period. And that simple and no more complicated than that. An addict alone is in wrong company. And that I believe. I'm really grateful to be asked to have shared. Um, I know I've gone on and had diarrhea of the mouth. Uh, but uh, I do care, and I show my care today and my gratitude today in my action. Because for me, talk's cheap. So I try to be the best example today and show my gratitude by being in an NA meeting each day, by using the phone each day, by trying to do things differently each day in my actions. And by that, then I try to turn it around and help my thoughts to change and to grow. So my actions continue to be different for me and hopefully better for me. My life today, a lot of times, I don't know if it's better, but I know it's different. Um, and for that, I'm extremely grateful and excited about my life and about myself. I'm a hopeless depressive. And the closest I've come to physical relapse in the time I've been around and recovering is going to a couple psychiatrist friends of mine that have known me in my active addiction and saying, I can't go on, I'm so depressed, I need help. I can't make it. And the two of them are sitting there and say, damn it, Proctor, what do you want? You know it better than us. You tell us what you want and we'll write it. <laughs> no matter what it is, you tell me. And I'd cry. And these two men would sit there and laugh at me. <laughs> but they knew enough about the disease of addiction not to be recovering people and about me to say, no, we're not going to make that decision for you. You can have anything you want. Here's the book. Pick it if you don't know how to pronounce it. <laughs> but we're not going to make that decision for you. 
that's the closest I've come to rely on uh, a mood or mind-altering chemical to survive my own emotions, to get through the day, to get some energy to work, to get out of the house, to answer the phone, to open the door, to go to the meeting, some motivation to survive my own emotions. And for that, I'm extremely grateful in that sense of those two men and the times I've been to them in my past, they didn't make that decision for me. And I had developed that relationship with a sponsor. Which, back to my second relationship, absence was the first, and my second relationship in life was with my sponsor. And if you don't have a sponsor, and you're not using a sponsor, you have a sponsor in name only, uh, I hope you don't suffer the way I did in early recovery and how I suffer today by not effectively using and surrendering to sponsorship. And in early on, I pay the price today. Uh, it's a little over June of 79 is when I got clean and total abstinence. If it's six years, if you have less than six years, and probably most people in this room have more than six years, if you have less than six years clean, and you're where I am, when you get six years clean, I think you're, you're in trouble. What I try to help people and the people I share with and talk to in my home community and around this country, I get excited when people can do better than I've done and can outgrow me. That gives me joy when I see somebody not having to make the same mistakes I had to make, not having to go through the same pain in life. You, what I learned today and believe is you don't have to shoot dope and to have taken human lives to make this program. And you don't have to make the same mistakes in this program to recover. That's here and I experienced strength and honesty from this wretched, horrible, crippling disease of addiction. You don't have to make them. I know we can't, we can't uh, protect each other from experiencing our pain, but we can have joyous pain and grow from it and not have to suffer from it. And that's what I try to do, and that's the try to hope I try to give myself, and others have so freely given me, and I try to offer by my example. And if my words can help anybody, uh, that's a bonus, because sometimes we get lost in interpretation. Uh, my mind goes off in other people's minds to lose train of thought and get angry, and the personalities come into play, but the example is what I look for, not the words. And the words may or may not help. But it's that example. And I love and care. We'll continue to try to learn more about love. I know about lust. I know about insecurity. I know about being a thief and rationalizing it. Uh, I know about lying. I know about manipulation. I know about conning. I know about all the defects that you, me, we all know about and experience have read about or learned about or participated in. What I'm trying to be about today is about learn about the other things, the spiritual principles of patience, of tolerance, of gratitude, of acceptance. That's the big one for me, acceptance. Surrender. Open-mindedness. That's what I try to work on each day, moment to moment, person to person, Conversation to conversation, thought to thought, to try to help myself 
to recover and to get better. And for that I'm extremely grateful to y'all for giving this to me and allowing me to pick and choose. I don't believe we're chosen people, recovering addicts. I believe we're choosing people. We have a choice today. And you can apply that choice to any area of your life. I know it's worked for me and it continues to work for me. We can work the steps and live. We don't have to work the steps and die. Blank, blank. Um, I know how to cuss. And I know how to use profanity. I know how to communicate through profanity. But what I'm about today is trying to do things differently. Know how to communicate differently. I know how to use those words. Uh, but I try to do things differently today. That's what I'm about. That's what my recovery is about. I know about other things. I'm trying to learn to do things differently and better. Thank you all. Uh, I hope that everybody has a good day and a good moment. And thanks for staying around and not walking out. just been told we've got another 30 minutes so I'm going to keep going no <laughs> we're going to call on some people uh, if you would come up to the uh, to the front here and share briefly we've got some minutes to share I'm an addict from New York. My name is Deborah. Um, I just want to thank you for your qualification. You know, you hit on a lot of points today. Thanks again for your qualification. You know, you hit on a lot of points today. Um, what I'm about to share is not easy to share, but I'm going to share it anyway because I feel very comfortable around. Feel very comfortable around my family. Um, I too liked married men. Um, to me, married men were, were a way out, a way out of having to love totally, a way out of having to be there at all times. Um, I've been in several relationships with married men and the first few relationships were good because I didn't have to do anything. All I did was receive. 
I received quite a bit, so it got very good to me. And to give up married men, I didn't want to do. But my last relationship, um, I felt used. I really felt used. Um, it wasn't good like the others. The others were always give, give, give. And I didn't have to give much, put it that way. Um, the last relationship was mainly take, take, take. And uh, it wasn't good for me, you know. Of course, I dumped that relationship, and uh, I'm working on myself today. I feel like I have to do another 90 and 90 for me because I need it. You know, this fellowship has taught me it's not all about love and it's not all about lust when it comes to relationships with men. It's about loving people, period, and loving myself and learning how to stay clean one day at a time. I just needed to let that go. Thanks a lot. <laughs> Hi, my name is Brian, and I'm definitely an addict from New Jersey. I want to also thank you a lot for sharing, because uh, something that's been kicking me for the past couple of weeks, uh, you touched on a lot when it comes to love, the difference between love and lust. Uh, I've always freely just given away my, my love to people uh, and you touched on something that it's hard for me to share in an open in an open group because I go to a men's meeting all the time back home and it's really easy to, to share but uh, I got into a relationship with a newcomer and after being in the program for a couple of years and sponsoring people and telling them the exact opposite of what I did uh, had a lot of guilt from it and eventually uh, this past week ended it because I knew it was wrong and she knew it was wrong because she wasn't able to grow I wasn't letting her grow because I'm the type of person that'll just give and give and not really care about getting anything in return until I realized that I do want to get something in return uh, because I care enough about my stuff that I do want to get something in return. And right now, I feel as if I have to just, for her and for myself, let it go. Um, somebody mentioned to me, do a 90-90, do a uh, abstain from, from sex. The way I feel is I need to do a, a 360 and a 360. <laughs> because... I need to find out, because um, I have a lot of feelings towards this person, and I want to, for myself, find out whether it was love or whether it was lust. Because it was a relationship where I could have very easily said to her that I loved her, but I didn't. I held back because I wanted to be sure. Uh, now I'm thinking about it, and I figure I want to give her the time to find out who she is. And for me... Uh, I'm willing to take the risk to see if it if, if it comes back in a, you know nine months or a year or whatever, uh, because in that time I'll grow, she'll grow, 
and I'll find out whether it, it was it was meant to be. And I know that with fear, there's there's faith, and I have a lot of faith, uh, and I have a lot of gratitude. And this is my uh, first convention, which it's it's mind-boggling. I decided Thursday to come down. Uh, I, I, there's something I wanted to share real quick because I went to school down here about four years ago for a year and a half and it was the worst year and a half of my life um, I had become a manic depressive while I was down here and I isolated myself and uh, I had a lot of fear about coming down to, to the convention but when I hopped on the Amtrak up in Newark and when the conductor said he was pulling into DC I had the biggest grin on my face. I was so happy to be back and walking into the into the hotel and seeing people I didn't know for beans, but knowing that I was home, that you know, here's my family. We have an announcement for. Uh, Becky Harmon, if she's in the room, you need to call your babysitter. It's important, extremely important. Thanks, Hi, my name is Tom. I'm a drug addict, alcoholic. Hi, Tom. And a slut, I guess. Um, uh, you know, in my in my addiction, um, I had the bottom of my house to myself, and and I'd pick up a girl after I got high and got on there. After the only time I got to talk to a girl, I grab a girl, go to my basement, um, do what I had to do, and then I tell them, uh, "You got to go. My mom's gonna be down soon. My dad's." <laughs> you know, whether it's raining or what, they go out. Then I go back out once I got excited again and, and grabbed another one and came back, did it all over again, and. Uh, this was four times a night sometimes, and um, so that was bad in my addiction. I never, I never, uh, I never jerked off or anything. I guess if I did that, I would have been better off. Um, <laughs> um, so anyway, anyway, when I got, I got clean. I was out of a relationship for nine months, and then I got into one, and I've been in it ever since. It's been about nine months now. And um, it's like we can't go a day. I don't go a day without without us doing it. And sometimes two or three times a day. And um, <laughs> it's it's <laughs> it, this is this is kind of like shit. I was listening. This is like shit. I really thought I was I was in love. And um, since I was at the relationships meeting yesterday. And, and uh, this one today, it's like, you know, we made a commitment not to have sex for a week, and like that night we did, you know, and it, um, and neither one of us brought up the commitment. We both, she's in the program, I'm in the program, and um, and uh, like, right now I'm gonna make, an, I'm gonna go home, I'm gonna make another commitment, and I don't know if I'm gonna be able to handle it. I really think I gotta look into it, cause it's like, uh, we were really talking and everything in the beginning, and once it, we didn't, we didn't go to bed for the first month, and um. And then once we did, you know, it was like 
the talking and everything started going away, you know. And um, telling her how much I hurt and how much I, it hurt seeing her not hitting meetings and, and how much just, I used to talk about my family and everything, you know. And that I need meetings and all, and that all started fading away and uh, sexually came into play, you know. And um, I don't know, and the reason I thought it really wasn't lust was in my addiction, I just wanted my thing. And now, and I said, I said, well, now I'll just give the girl everything I can give, you know, and I won't worry about pleasing myself. And, and I'm pleasing myself that way. And, uh, and like, I thought I was, like, doing better now. I said, well, look, man, I'll just give her everything I got and, and, and please her. And, you know, and I'm getting in return. But I thought that changed it from lust to love, you know. And uh, I got it all wrong, man. It's like, it's fucked up. I was sitting here listening and, like, you know, it was awesome. That's all I can say, you know. It, awesome. I was, uh, I admitted something to a friend last night that I needed to talk about. I had on my mind a whole long time. And, like, uh, when I was about eight or nine, I, I was molested. And uh, I never told nobody till last night. It was like, uh, I never told my sponsor. I was like, I've been admitting a whole lot of things since I've been here. This is my first convention too, and it's like been all, it's like, it's happening, man. And uh, I, I told him about it, and uh, all of a sudden he started telling me things about him that he hadn't told nobody. And it was like, it was beautiful, man. It was beautiful. And uh, I just want to thank everybody being here to listen. Thanks. I'm an addict and my problem is Keith. Hey family, it's beautiful to be up here. Uh, I'm one of them that are hard-headed addicts from North Carolina. And when I got a treatment, they said, you know, no relationships for six months because I knew I couldn't go that long. You know, it's supposed to be a year or whatever. Uh, and they were right. I jumped into them, in and out of them for the first year and a half clean. And all it did was make me to a point where I got resentful at women, where I ha actually hated women. And the last two relationships I was in, uh, it got real screwed up and weird because, you know, we were in it just for wanting each other to cure each other and to comfort each other. You know, two lonely people together are just two lonely people together. <laughs> I finally listened to what the treatment center said after about two and a half years clean. Uh, <laughs> after a second girl in a row tried committing suicide when I left, I thought it had something to do with me, but I was wrong. Uh, <laughs> I found out later that um, that these people had a lot of insecurities and they were trying to get me to take care of them for them and I need to st
stay clean for me today, and I need to try to grow for me. And I can't, I can't rely on somebody to do it for me. And I tried for a long time. I stayed out of relationship for over a year. But there's one problem. I was, it, it wasn't that I stayed out uh, because I had I was doing the right thing for the wrong reasons, and I was still looking all the time. And I still get into that today, but in the last three years clean, I've been in one relationship that lasted a few few weeks. I'm talking about something where I could actually share something with a female besides just uh, sex. And it felt good. But I've got to still grow and learn. I guess I'm a little bit sicker than some people because... Or I believe that if you don't do it in the beginning, you're going to have to do it later on. And if you do it, wait to do it later on, it's going to take a lot longer. Uh, I've done a lot of suffering and hurting because I haven't listened to what people like this man here have been talking about. And I've gone through a lot of damn unnecessary pain. And I know a lot of people who are going through it. Cause I call it sport fucking. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I'm up here at this wild convention <laughs> and everything I'm, I'm staring at and drooling over. And <laughs> but you know what? That's not me. That's my addiction. I've got to sh try to share me. And when I'm out trying to get laid, I ain't trying to recover. And I, I'm really grateful I made it to this meeting today. And I hope tonight at this dance I'm not in the same attitude I had last night. <laughs> I'm a drug addict. Uh, originally from California, I now live in PA. I'm recovering. Um, first thing I want to say is I'm scared to death to talk. <laughs> um, today's my 18th day of being clean. And today is my 11th day of my 90-90. Um, this is a great topic. Um, the past week I acted out uh, on a lust. And um, I'm really mad at myself. Very, very mad. And what that has taught me already 
is that uh, if that if I'm that mad and that upset and can't handle that, what would I do if I picked up again? I couldn't handle it. Um, I was at a meeting uh, two weeks ago, and uh, I heard a man speak. He shared, and this man taught me something that I that I uh, keep in my mind over and over again that helps me stay clean. And he said to me. Uh, you don't change N.A. to fit into your life. You change your life to fit N.A. Yeah. Um, that's helped me out tremendously. Uh, my sponsor, she's great. At first I was scared to death to uh, be honest with her. I bullshitted her like the first couple days. Everything's great. I have a great pink cloud. Uh, my pink clouds dwindled. Um, I decided to come to the convention like two hours before the kids were leaving and uh, I'm very grateful to be here. Uh, day by day I'll be at Bloomsburg next year. That's all I have. I'm an addict, my problem's John. I'm also from North Carolina. It took me a while to realize that we as addicts, we can have good relationships. I'm in a relationship right now, and there's nothing, you know, we... Our relationship is built on honesty and being open with each other. From the first time I asked her out, I just laid everything out. I said, this is the way I am. This is the way I do things. And I'm sorry we can go out this one time, but if you don't like it, we can still, you know, share, care the N.A. way, you know. And, uh, shoot, people said, you know, I didn't get a relationship until six months out of treatment. I got in a relationship and treatment, you know. And, uh, yeah, I didn't waste any time. And, uh... My sponsor, the second one that I, that I used, um, he told me that, you know, you can have a relationship within, within a year, except when it's over, you have to work the steps. You know, you got to work the steps. You know, and when the relationship was over and my ass was on fire, I had to work the steps because I just didn't think of using it at the time, probably. I was at a meeting most of the time. And, uh, did a little mini four-step, although I wasn't at the four-step, you know, I was still on the first step. I did a little mini four-step, did a fifth step, you know, I did what it took. And, uh, you know, today in North Carolina, in my small town, my group, people come up and ask me, John, how does your relationship work? John, what's your relationship built on? And that's another way I can share, another way I can... You know, share my experience, strength, and hope. You know, there's people in uh, today in the bidding. You know, they're married. You know, they just got married on a honeymoon. You know, we can have relationships. You know, I've had my shitty ones. You know, I've been a slut. Okay, and I had to work the steps afterwards because I don't want to die anymore. You know, I died all over the world. 
and I'm tired of dying. I want to live today. And, uh, you know, we can do it. It's, we pray a lot. And one thing that we do is we don't use each other as dumping grounds. We don't take our shit from the past and dump it on each other. We go to our sponsors, you know, and we share good and bad. We just don't share the bad things of the day. We share the good things, you know. And we don't use sex to vent our frustrations, you know. And, uh, you know, that's, that's how my relationship is working today. And uh, I'm really grateful. You know, she is not here today. And, okay. Yeah, I am, I am grateful because I can go. <laughs> yeah, I know she is. I know she is. She probably is. You know, I can spend time with, you know, there are some, some binds in a relationship. You know, you've got to think for two sometimes. And the last convention I went to, I thought for two. This convention I came, I think, for one, you know, and that, and that and that's really good. You know, I need time away and I need time with, you know, I just can't be locked in all the time. I'm not that well yet, you know, and, uh, you know, we got real big plans, you know, but today we're here. I'm here and she's there, you know, and that's all I can go with. Thank you very much. I love everybody. My name's Kermit, and I'm an addict. I'm clean today through the grace of God and Narcotics Anonymous. Where you from? I'm from Virginia, honey. Yeah. Home of the Virginia region. Um, I, I, I wanted to share, um, you know, I heard people talking about some of the difficulties that they've been having and some of the answers. And uh, and I really wanted to share some of the beauty of relationship that I found by participating in Narcotics Anonymous and working the steps uh, and following the suggestions, usually after a great deal of emotional pain. Um, I really like the speaker. It's dynamite. I got to listen to it every time I pick up the telephone, so it's getting a little boring to me. But <laughs> he keeps saying the same things over and over and over. I'll get it sometime, Joseph. Um, through my addiction, um, I lost my son. Um, my wife took him away. Um, Actually, I had to give him back because I was wholly incapable of, of taking care of him. Um, I, I ended up, you know, my wife divorced me, and uh, and, I, and I went through a series of of, uh, of short-lived relationships where I took women hostage, and later found out that it was them taking me hostage. <laughs> and. Uh, Right before I went to treatment, I uh, I was in one of those relationships, and I like the what it says about no major decisions in the first year of recovery. I I agreed to marry her before I went to treatment. <laughs> and then the sick thing is that I followed through on that, <laughs> but I waited a year, <laughs> and then ten months later we were getting divorced. Um, 
after that I uh, was in um, a few relationships and the thing that that I, that I did through those relationships the process that I learned was how to share my feelings with a woman um, in an appropriate manner not taking their inventory because it's real easy for me to say you know um, you're doing this this and that okay um, what I learned was that I needed to share was I feel resentful when you do this I feel angry when you walk away from me when we're having a discussion you know I feel rejected when I try to do something nice for you and you just put it down yeah. someone said to me once that, that he wanted to um, said that he went to his sponsor and said he wanted this woman he wanted a relationship and he really wanted it and, and his sponsor told him to go write down everything that he thought the perfect woman would be what would be her color, hair, her eyes and everything and her personality and he came back with this list